If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to an expert episode of the podcast. If you are not a big TikToker like me, you may have missed a viral video that was going around a few months ago about a woman who was hosting a divorce party and went to Vegas with her friends and went to the Adele residency and Adele saw her sign and was so moved by the fact that divorce was being celebrated in a way of bringing all your friends to Vegas and the video went viral, news outlets started picking it up and the subject of that video, Rebecca Feingloss is who I have on the show today, which she is so much more than just that viral video. She is a grieving educator, advocate, and founded Grieve Leave in 2021 when she was documenting her year-long sabbatical that she took after going through a divorce and shortly before going through her divorce, losing her dad very suddenly. And we talk about the divorce process. I have no idea how complex and complex on purpose the divorce process can be and how difficult it is to navigate. We talk about the the shame of getting divorced and how she was able to work through that and own it, how she was able to use her anger towards the divorce process and use it as fuel to really start helping other people go through grieving and their own grief. And grieveleave.com is an incredible community now with over 25,000 people helping people grieve, whether it is a divorce, a breakup, a death, a miscarriage, whatever that looks like. They are this beautiful community. And Rebecca is such a beautiful light. And I just know that she's going to be able to make changes in this space. And I know you're going to love listening to her as much as I loved interviewing her. Welcome, Rebecca, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. We've already had like a fun little party before we even got started. So I'm so excited to to have you on. Uh, you're the best, Kendra. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I make the joke every time that I'm like, yeah, I talk about grief for a living, but I swear I'm really fun at parties. Like, I swear. I can tell <laughs> from like our like 10 minutes of conversation before we started. I can totally tell. And we were also chatting about how we like 
found each other separately and then publicist team connected for the podcast just separately. So it was totally meant to be very excited to have you on. As you, you know, heard in the intro, you went very viral on TikTok, which we'll get into your story. But so much I want to talk to you about. I would love if you could just start with where it all began, the divorce, or I guess even before that, like the marriage. So yeah, let's start at the beginning. Oh my gosh, Kendra. But I honestly like starting at the beginning in my story, like to talk about my divorce, adding context is that I have to talk about the fact that both of my parents are dead because my divorce wouldn't have happened if my, I don't think anyway, if my dad hadn't died really suddenly on day one of COVID lockdown and my mom hadn't died when I was a kid and she was sick with brain cancer, like my entire childhood died when I was 13. And my marriage was very much rooted in love. I mean, definitely a love story. Both of us were raised in single parent households. He had also lost a parent young. And we both worked really hard for that relationship. But when I found myself at age 30, working my ass off in a job that I loved and was very proud of in state government, leading COVID response for the state of North Carolina, And I also found myself an orphan at age 30. It just, that experience made me reevaluate like so many things in my life and particularly made me reevaluate if I was actually happy in this marriage that I had put on such a pedestal as like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're the power couple. And I was always very future oriented about the relationship. Like we'll keep working hard. Things are going to be great in the future, even if things aren't today. Yeah. But then when you're stuck in lockdown with somebody, I mean, I'm sure that I have to imagine that's the same experience for many of your listeners. Like lockdown was like a pressure cooker for relationships, especially that were already challenged. But at the end of the day, I decided, you know, no one's going to take care of me except for me. I have no parents left. I'm not happy. I don't feel good in this relationship. This isn't what I want. I'm not served well in this marriage. And so a little over a year after my dad died, I decided to get divorced. And it's the best decision that I ever made. And it was also the scariest decision that I'd ever made. Yeah. And then took a while to actually get divorced in North Carolina, which that's like a whole nother story. Which we will totally Uh, touch on (laughs) because that part is disturbingly fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Good combo of words. I totally agree. Which, yes, I literally interviewed someone like an hour ago and it was a like COVID breakup situation. Yeah. So, But when you realized you weren't happy, was it pretty yeah. easy to place it on the relationship? Because I know a lot of people who were ending relationships, you don't want it to be the relationship. So it's pretty easy to place it. Oh, it must be this. It must be me. It must be. It's It's just so much easier to place it on something else rather than having to come to the realization of, oh, shit. I don't want to be married to this person anymore. Oh, such a great question. So, I mean, for anyone else out there who is also like a type A, incredibly hard worker who like fundamentally believes that you can achieve anything you put your mind to and is successful, right? Like that mindset was how I lived my life. And honestly, I think that's deeply rooted in the fact that I lost a parent young, right? Like I knew 
the value of my own hard work. And I was constantly striving to be the best at everything that I did. Honestly, like I get it now, but I didn't then because I think I had this big empty spot from not having a mother. And I had a lot of, maybe I still do, issues with insecure, anxious attachment. But Same. for me, like, I, yay us. Yeah. My mindset on my relationship and then my marriage was that anything that doesn't feel good right now is something we can work through because we love each other. Mm-hmm. And if I just work harder, me personally, if I work harder, then we can make it and we will be in this consistently happy marriage. And Mm. that was the way that I operated. And it's not to say he didn't work hard too. He certainly did. We, again, both coming from single parent households, I don't want to speak for him, but we both worked really hard to make that relationship work. And there was just something about not having anywhere else to look during lockdown and not having parents to like fall back on for support and advice that it finally made me look in the mirror and be like, okay, at what point do I call it? Like, at what point do I say, okay, I'm doing the work. He's doing the work and it's still not enough. And that does not mean I'm a failure. That does not mean he's a failure. Yeah. Divorce is not a failure, right? Like, a relationship is a choice. And I was so scared for so long. Like women and people think about getting divorced long before they actually get divorced. Like it wasn't a brand new thought in my life, but I, I don't think I was brave enough to actually say like, okay, let me take control over my own happiness and let me accept that this is not a failure if I choose to end this relationship. It was the strongest thing that I could have done. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like there's people in my comments, which, you know, they, they have like fake pictures, whatever, like the trolls in comments sometimes will, you know, say that I'm trying to encourage people to break up and like, why don't, you know, it's like we used to believe in like fixing things and not throwing them away. And there's the sanctity of marriage. And it's like, yes, everyone who gets married thinks they're going to be with that person for forever. That is why you get married, you know, but life happens and people change and it takes a long time to fully get to know someone because you have to learn how they handle like the death of a parent. You don't like that's not something that you can tell when you're dating someone how they lose losing a job, financial issues when they become a parent, like you don't know how that's going to work out. So things change. People change. Beliefs change. All that stuff changes. And, you know, totally. some, sometimes without like a, a major falling out or major issue, relationships are just not working. And it's so sad and it's tragic. But like you don't have to go through this, you know, they have those like 20 questions to see if you're an alcoholic. Like there's not like 20 questions to see if you need to get divorced or like is your relationship no. working or not. It's something no, it's that different for everybody. It's different for everybody. And so what what was the thing that made you call it? That's so scary to say like yeah. were you talking to friends about it before? The, the first time it came out of your mouth was it so terrifying? So I'm just going to caveat all of this and you can put that in this in the podcast or not. Legally, I can only say so much about details of that relationship. Totally. And it is what it is at this point. Though I have written extensively about what led 
to my breakup during my year that I took and called grieve leave after my divorce. And when I quit my job, and I was trying to process all of this grief and folks are welcome to read more in detail about kind of moments of those decisions, but it wasn't like at griefleaf.com, but it, it wasn't like one day I was like, no, I would like to get divorced now. It was cumulative. We don't flippantly enter marriage. Though in some states, and actually in every state, it is so easy to get married. It is so hard to get divorced. So like, really, I should say, we, we do not flippantly enter the divorce process. Divorce sucks. Divorce was not the path of least resistance for me to take. Divorce was the scarier choice at first because, you know, like, do you stay in the relationship that even though it is painful, you know, like it's the known pain, that daily inertia that keeps you stuck in a relationship that you know you don't like, but it is scarier this idea of getting out because you don't know what's on the other side. I was so scared of being labeled as a divorcee at 31. I was petrified. I didn't think anyone was going to love me. And I ultimately, like, I'm really proud of making that decision to end the marriage. And that was coming from the support of a lot of friends. That was certainly coming from the support of my therapist. God bless her. Love you. Everyone should be in therapy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank God I was in therapy before my dad died. Yeah. So I had a great relationship with my therapist during my the aftermath of my dad's death and throughout my divorce. And I'm going to see her tomorrow morning. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I can't recommend that enough. Like it. Therapy and just talking with people who also love us, not even just people we pay, can help us get perspective on what decisions, whether it's a breakup or not, are best for us. And so we're not just driven by like fear as yeah. we make decisions. Yeah. I think it's also to the space online is, you know, we need to trust yourself, trust your gut, trust that sometimes we need someone to say, it's okay to leave. We just need someone to say, hey, whatever you're deciding, it's okay. And that's the thing where we're like, everything we've been thinking about and feeling just clicks into place. I'm like getting the chills thinking about it. But like, oh my God, I just got emotional like immediately. It's so funny you just said yeah. that. Because literally, it's like, you are not a failure if yeah. you leave. Yeah. And it's that message that I feel like women in particular need to hear. You are not a failure if you choose to end your relationship. Or frankly, if your partner chooses to end the relationship with you, you're just not right for each other. The relationship totally. isn't right. That's not a value judgment on who you are as a person or who they are as a person. Yeah. You're not a failure. Divorce is not failure at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it, it's hard to compare the two, but it is in some ways people will you know, I'm thinking about my dad who like went through hardcore engineering school, like the hardest, you know, hardest four years of his life enters this and is like, I hate it. I don't want to do this. And like totally change. You know, we don't think of that as like a failure, but and it is. Yeah. I mean, career, love, it's they're different. But in some ways, it's like it is the same thing where you enter in and you're just like, this isn't working out. Look, Kendra, a marriage is a contract. 
It is a yeah. legal piece of paper contract. And at any yeah. point, either party can decide that that contract, it like the terms of the contract aren't being met anymore, period, yeah. for whatever reason. And states make it incredibly difficult to end those contracts and it's bullshit and it shouldn't be that hard. But a marriage is a contract. Marriage is a choice. Relationships, romantic relationships, platonic relationships too, are choices that we make. Mm-hmm. And we can choose, we have to choose to care for ourselves. Like we can't show up well, let's say for our kids, right? We can't show up well. I don't have children, but I know others do. You can't show up well for your children if you're not well, right? Yeah. Like we make all kinds of excuses to stay in relationships that are harmful and yeah. we don't have to. Yeah. And I, I really want to talk about like the divorce process that again, like talk, speaking of stepping into the unknown, unless you have a really close friend that went through a divorce, you don't really have an insight into what it's like to get divorced. And one thing, speaking of, I have my other set of trolls that I have are these super misogynistic people that will come in and just say that women file for 70% of divorces. And that means that they're just... They don't really care about their partner. They just want money or what I don't know. What they say is all kinds of bullshit. But like, but that Can is you like hear my eye roll. Your eyes rolling. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, just get off. Like, I don't no one cares. Get off my page. So, but that is true that women do file for 70% of divorces. What are the thoughts as to why that is? I think, you know, I might have a theory, but what are your thoughts on that? Let's just like take a step back. Again, women, I'm using a heteronormative lens here. So, and I'll just name that. Like we are talking about a male, female marriage. Mm -hmm. There should be more research on divorces in same-sex marriages, but there's such limited research on divorce anyway that like that's another gap in the research. Some context here for your listeners is my background prior to quitting my job and now starting a company that supports people in grief and grieving education all day, every day, whether you're grieving a death or a breakup, or we grieve all kinds of things as humans. My old life was Rebecca Feingloss, government policy educator, nerd extraordinaire. And I loved my career. And I built a a career I was really proud of in supporting particularly early childhood policy, ultimately for the state of North Carolina, also worked for the Chicago mayor's office. When I got divorced, when I was trying to get divorced, oh my God, like you were saying, like the process is so opaque. You don't know what you're getting into because if you Google like how to get divorced, if you just Google that right now on your phone, you will get a million responses or a million hits on Google. And each one is for a different your business. And so they're going to make the process look even more opaque because they want you to hire them to help you through this already complicated process that they are making seem even more complicated for you. Mm -hmm. So I learned very quickly that divorce feels very adversarial and is full of a lot of bureaucracy. And even with my background in government, in policy, like literally I wrote legislation and I wrote for politicians like as my career, I was having a lot of trouble understanding the process of how to get divorced in the state of North Carolina. And I got really pissed about that. 
I was so angry because I come from privilege and access to a wonderful attorney. She's wonderful. And I was so confused still and so frustrated that our systems are built this way to keep women trapped in marriages that they don't want to be in. And we've written for multiple publications on how fucked up divorce laws are across our country and that they don't have to be this way. Okay. That's my pedestal to get back to your actual question about why I think that women initiate 70% of divorces. I mean, I don't want to stereotype, right? But I, I just feel like women have more to lose staying in relationships that aren't serving them. Mm-hmm. If they're like financially dependent on someone else or they, or if they're unhappy. I'll also say that like when divorce law policy like nationwide changed to allow for no fault divorces. Not that um, long that ago. Means that was really not that long ago. Yeah. Like divorce rates increased tremendously. And that doesn't mean that people magically wanted to get divorced. It meant that people had been wanting to end relationships that weren't serving them for a really long time, but they couldn't. So I'm sure there are a million and one reasons that it's women who more often initiate them. But I don't know. I feel like maybe we're, I, I just, I don't want a gender stereotype. Maybe we're quicker to action. Maybe we're quicker to, to, want to take control over our families and our well-being. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking again, I don't want to stereotype. And this is really anecdotal based on, you know, all the breakups that I've personally heard about. But I think the most recurring story I hear in these kinds of things is I expressed to my partner that I needed this changed. And nothing ever changed. And I kept requesting it. And then I got to a point where I felt like I was nagging and I didn't, I don't want to nag. Nothing changed. And so I had to cut it and and I had to leave because nothing was, nothing was changing. I was willing to do the work. I was willing to do this. And I've heard that story from men as well. But the large majority of those kind of stories I do hear from women. So anecdotally, I feel like that's, you know, a big reason. This is like a call for continued research into why people get divorced and yeah. the divorce process, because this is not an area that's like deeply studied at all. No, Because yeah. particularly because I think of the impacts that the divorce process has on women. I think that's why it's been understudied. It just hasn't been an area of focus. And I'm, I'm so happy that I've gotten to talk to researchers who have studied this, but there, there needs to be way more insight here, more academic insight into what's happening. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, many of my conclusions come from anecdotal conversations too, with with plenty of people who've joined our grieve leave community who are going through divorce or who have been through divorce, who are grieving the feeling of ending a marriage and of Mm -hmm. their life just not turning out the way that they wanted to, even though they worked really, really hard and they reached a point where they didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. That is so much. I mean, even just talking about grief in general, that's so much of what it is, is I pictured my life going one way. I pictured my future going one way. And then whether it was over time or just rug ripped out from underneath you, all of a sudden your future looks different and it's not what you wanted. It's not what you planned for. It's not what you worked for. And I hear all the time people are are saying, I just can't stop picturing my future without my ex. And I'm like, yeah, 
that's who that's all you've been picturing your future about all your plans that you've been thinking about for however long you guys have been together have all included your ex and now they don't and of course it's going to take time to to adjust to that but that is such a that a sad part about grief is just wow my life isn't what i thought it was yeah. going to be that's also literally what grieving is like grieving is the process of your brain learning how to rewire itself around this loss in your life around this yeah. thing that is no longer true that you thought probably would always be true and as you grieve as you come to terms with the fact that this loss happened as you come to terms with all of these griefy feelings that you have the process of grieving is learning to reimagine your life without your ex or without your person or whatever it is. That is what grieving is. And we're not like taught how to do that. We're just mm -hmm. taught that we, frankly, we are taught that we are failures because we broke up or because we yeah. got divorced. We're not, we're just, we're grieving. And that's so normal and so human. Yeah. And I wanted to add this too, because you just made me realize something that I actually hadn't thought about until this exact moment in time. And I want to go like write this down after we finish talking. I think when my dad died, it fundamentally shattered my worldview of what I thought was going to be true for my life. I had mm -hmm. moved to North Carolina with my ex-husband with this vision of my dad being a grandfather and being, okay. my dad was my best friend. And having a house close to his and raising kids and being in my home state and serving my home state and government. I mean, that was this vision I had built for myself. You know, I imagined by the age of 31, I would have like two kids at least and a house and life would be going pretty darn well. Yeah. And when my dad died, it, that could no longer be true. Like that vision was already shattered for me. It was already kind of over. And I think it gave me freedom in a way, as weird as that is to say, that my dad's death yeah. gave me the freedom to reimagine what my my life was going to look like. And once he was gone and my mom was long gone, I was trying to rewire my brain around what I wanted my relationship to look like. And it wasn't working. Like what I had in front of me, that marriage did not meet the future that I now wanted for myself. Yeah. And that sucked. And who knows what would have happened if my dad hadn't died. I don't know. I don't know if I would have gotten divorced. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? But that was heartbreaking. It was a heartbreaking loss and made me reevaluate everything. And ultimately yeah. I am, I'm the best version of myself now that I've ever been. So, you know, grief fucking sucks, but it, we will be stronger for it. Yeah. I loved your definition of grief. It's interesting how many people assume that overcoming heartbreak involves forgetting the person and how many people will say, will my ex forget me or will, you know, and that's not what it is at all. I, you know, I always point to the fact that I can say the first and last name of like my sixth grade boyfriend that I, you know, was together with for three weeks. It's like, we don't just, you don't forget, but th that's great. You, you relearn. And there's so many things that are tied to a person that you don't even realize until they're gone. I'm sure you went through this with your dad of like, I'm picking up the phone. I want to call them. I have to learn to do something different in that. There's just so many of these like micro habits and 
instinctual things that we do that are connected to a person that we then have to relearn how to do. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's true for breakups too. I mean, (laughs) the lock code on my door was my anniversary with my ex. I had to reset that. And I still like my muscle memory sometimes is like, oh shit, that is not the lock code anymore. And it's, or things like seeing photos of your ex, like pop up, like damn it, Facebook memories, you are the worst. And And now iPhones are doing it too. Oh my God. And they're so random. Oh, it's like, Hey, I'm, oh my God. It just, it happens to me all the time. Hey, this day, you know, 10 years ago, Rebecca, you were wedding dress shopping. Did you forget? I'm like, I didn't need that. Thank you, (laughs) Apple. Let me delete that now, which is like a whole nother thing. Like I really set out in 2022 on this year of grieve leave because I knew that I was struggling with loss. I knew I was struggling with the deaths of my parents. I knew I was struggling with my divorce. Like the whole world seemed like it was ending because of COVID. Like we were all struggling with grief, whether we knew it or not, but I didn't have the vocabulary for it. And every day of 2022, I set out to grieve something, some kind of loss that I was feeling and start to process like, what does it actually look like to grieve? And I'd never thought about what grieving was or what grief was. I didn't know those things were different. And grief is the collection of emotions, collection of emotions that we feel during sometimes before or after a loss. They can be joyful sometimes, they can be angry, they can be sad, but it's not just sad. Grieving, like we've already talked about, is the process of coming to terms with those losses. But the biggest thing that I feel like, like, I barely knew how to grieve anything, let alone grieving a divorce. Like, what did that even mean? And what did that look like? And for me, it looked like a million and one ways. But the thing that I was going to bring up was very intentionally deleting photos on my iPhone of me and my ex and like sitting with those feelings and not feeling like a failure or accepting those waves of when I did and just Mm -hmm. sitting with it and then pressing delete. That was really helpful for me. And that, that is grieving. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is so important to share your thoughts and feelings while going through a breakup, especially if it's something you're feeling any guilt or shame around. I know whenever I'm struggling with a certain thought or situation and I keep it to myself, it gets heavier and heavier and feels harder and harder to manage. I truly believe we are as sick as our secrets. Therapy has always been a safe space for me to have a judgment-free zone to get things off my chest. Whether it's something from my past, a current struggle, or something I'm anxious about in the future, I always feel lighter when I'm able to share something that feels scary. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Since getting sober over 11 years ago, most of my friends don't drink. And last month at my birthday dinner, we were going around the table talking about our favorite non-alcoholic drink. And almost everyone at the table was talking about how much they love recess, me included. 
Not only is Recess Mood a delicious drink, Strawberry Rose is my favorite, but they also have raspberry lemon, which is so good, lime citrus, and more. It's made with real fruit. It's only 20 calories, and it comes with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium, so it can also bring me a much, much needed moment of peace. So whether you're like me and are always on the hunt for functional and tasty non-alcoholic drinks, or you're just looking for something healthy to unwind at the end of the day, Recess mood should be your go-to. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. A question I get asked all the time is, is it normal for a breakup to feel more intense during my period? And the answer is yes. PMS is already so hard to deal with. And then you throw a breakup into that. And I know for me, PMS can make me feel anxious, exhausted, starving, and sad not a great combo. And that's why I love using and recommending Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth, which can make PMS easier to manage and has helped reduce those anxious feelings and low moods I experience around my period. And fun fact, a bottle is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens, which help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormones can make us feel so out of whack, and I agree with the most commonly used phrase in their 17,000 reviews, which is that it does make you feel like yourself again. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code HEARTBREAK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code HEARTBREAK for 15% off today. I definitely encourage people to do that, but I think putting that intentionality to it and making it a part of the grieving process, I think is is beautiful in some ways. I mean, obviously it's hard, it's gut-wrenching and it's so hard to do that kind of stuff. But so I guess back up a little bit because I did not realize how many people have to face this until probably the last couple of years. Can you talk about that year that you had to stay with your ex without the divorce? I just, like, there's so many people that say, for financial reasons or leak, whatever the reasons are, I have to live with my ex after breaking up with them or I have to remain in something. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yes. And it is also the thing that infuriates me more than like any other policy related to divorce. Okay. I didn't even know this was a policy. I mean, it's not in California where I am, but I had yeah. no idea this was a thing. It's insane. So depending on what state you are filing to get divorced in, you have to meet a variety of different requirements. Most states have residency requirements. All states have a residency requirement. Nevada is the shortest at six weeks. Other states you have to live in. One or more parties involved in the divorce has to live in that state to be able to file there. But remember, this is America and marriage and divorce is recognized between states. So that's why there are those um, residential requirements. So you don't just like pop over to Virginia and file for divorce and your ex is surprised. Anyway, in a handful of states, there is another requirement in order to get divorced, and it is a separation period. And what I very quickly learned in my rage of going through this in North Carolina is that North Carolina and South Carolina are the only two states in the country with a year-long required separation period prior to being able to file for divorce. You cannot file for divorce in North Carolina or in South Carolina unless you live separate and apart from your spouse. 
Here's what that actually looks like in practice. That means you and your spouse are still legally married for a year, but you've both, like you've communicated with your now ex, but still legally husband or wife or whoever, that you want to get divorced because you have to have an agreed upon separation date and you have to have proof that you haven't been living together or else your ex can contest that date of separation and really screw you over in the divorce process. It is a mess. There are a handful of states that have a six month separation period. In some states, you can live in the same house but you can't have sex for a period of time. It's wild. That is crazy. It's like Puritans. Like, yeah, no, I'm like, where are we, <laughs> what year is this? I mean, you could contest and be like, oh no, we, we had sex. And if you can somehow prove that, then the clock starts over in a given state and you have to, I mean, they could really mess with you and make it so you can't get divorced for another six months or however long it is. But I didn't understand that North Carolina was so unique until I started researching divorce policies as my divorce was finally coming to an end. Because again, you can't file until a year after separation. And so then you have all of these legal processes that have to take place upon filing all the back and forth and all of the arguing and it is exhausting. It took me over a year and a half to get divorced, which is still not like the longest divorce story that I've ever heard of. But when you don't have kids, I understand policies that require states to make couples wait a period of time if they have young children, because there is a lot of stuff that needs to be worked out in terms of like visitation and making sure kids are cared for. I get that. But if you don't have kids, why are you making me stay in this marriage that is potentially harmful for me? And that is true of women all over the country in particular. I mean, I'm thinking of a thousand different scenarios, but are there exceptions? What if someone's dangerous? What if a partner's dangerous? Depends on the state. So in North Carolina and South Carolina, there are really rare exceptions to that 365-day separation period. Really, really, really rare. A few years ago, a state legislator here tried to file for an exemption to the 365-day separation period if your spouse has been convicted of a felony, and that didn't pass. So oh it's like, it's, <laughs> it is designed to force people to try and like reconcile basically, which is, I think very much against my freedom as an American. Like if I'm free to marry, I need to be free to get divorced too. I mean, we don't have, it depends on the state. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm just thinking of like Roe v. Wade, like how easy it is to fucking have a baby that it's like, it's easier to buy a gun than it is to get divorced. It is. Yeah. And so like, then I'll just like continue on this pedestal because I could literally talk about this all day, Kendra. So it stopped me, but If let's play this out, then let's say we really deeply believe in the sanctity of marriage in America and that you should enter in so thoughtfully into a marriage and we should value it above any other contract at all. Cool. If there's a separation period required of a year 
on the back end when you're getting divorced, then there should be an equivalent separation period of a year on the front end before you get married, because we should equally take seriously the commitment to enter as we do to exit. But as I even propose that as a policy, why would you ever have a waiting period to get married? It's like laughable. No one would actually do that. Yeah. And that is how you know it's a bullshit policy. And it's just designed to keep people stuck, to keep women stuck in marriages that are not serving them. Yeah. 18 years old. Thank God I didn't. 18 years old, my super awful, abusive, narcissistic ex, 18, I could have driven with him to Vegas, drive through, married him, and been attached to him in some way for forever but you know and that's like that's so crazy to to think about and then that's wild I just I had no idea that that was the case for so many I don't know for divorces I mean I've had a handful of friends get divorced and you know now it also makes sense as to why people will say hey we're gonna we're I'm staying with him until my kids are in college and I know that I a lot of my friends parents like when we went off to college, a lot of them got, to, you know, got divorced because it's like, I don't want to put anyone else through that because it's such a tumultuous process, even if it might be amicable. Better. Like people can't afford to live separately and apart. Like, so they, they literally can't afford on their own expenses to be completely financially independent for a year to get divorced. So like, I think about that sometimes that it's this like hazing ritual that so many women in particular, go through to get divorced. And it's like, I know what you had to go through to get to that point. Like women who get divorced are the strongest women in the world. I would yeah. go to bat for any of them because they have persevered through some awful situations. No divorce is easy. But for all of those people who persist through the divorce process, all of the BS in those policies, there are countless others who are stuck in dangerous and draining financially or whatever it is, they're stuck in marriages they don't want to be in because they cannot get out. They think they can't anyway, but they don't see a pathway to yeah. make it feasible enough to meet all of the policy requirements to get divorced. It's like judges will change the goalposts on you too and might tell you that this form isn't required statewide, but it's required in my courtroom. Right. So then you think you've met whatever paperwork requirements that you need to from your lawyer and surprise you have a new bill that you can't afford. Yeah. And so maybe you don't get divorced at all. Well, I'm it's just wild. thinking it's I'm thinking particularly of someone, a family member I have that's young. She's like in her early 20s, got married quick, got pregnant. And basically the ex is like. I'm not going to send money until the government tells me I have to. And yeah. so like, luckily she has family that can help her house her and her kid. But like, what if it's so common? It? It's yeah, so common. what if she did it's it? So, so common. Like there is not consistent enforcement of child support, particularly during the divorcing process. Like when you're yeah. in that separation period, your estranged spouse your still legal spouse doesn't have to, maybe technically there might be some court order for them to send you something, but the time it would take you to actually pursue the finances you're owed just costs you more money to 
actually like pursue legally. So you just give up. And it is a pro like the divorce process drains women, drains them who are then already carrying an inequitable financial burden, probably of having custody of children or already being strapped for time because of whatever gendered household responsibilities they have had for years. And so they are not as high income earners as their estranged spouses are. Women are penalized throughout the divorce process and it is devastating for people. So infuriating. And I do want to shift gears a little bit because I feel like I could talk to you for a very long time on this particular subject. We and I need love- like beer and yeah. and or whiskey and just like, let's, yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, it's yeah. wild and it's, yeah. um, it especially as someone who hears so much about breakups, I'm so shocked that I've, you know, been so naive to this process. But so I want to kind of jump from the infuriation of, of the filing for divorce and then let's like end up in Vegas. Oh my how God. did that, <sighs> how did the tides turn for you to, this is probably making an assumption, but I would assume that this fuel that you have around this helped in some ways. Like, okay, I'm going to turn this into something, you know? Yeah. Folks who are listening can't see, but I am an aggressive nodder <laughs> and I am just like very enthusiastic. I do that on podcasts too. Cause otherwise I'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Using the word fuel, I think is perfect. So like I said, my divorce took a year and a half and it was not clear when the process was actually going to end. Like it was not clear to me when a judge was going to finalize my divorce decree. I actually didn't know. And toward the last like month or so, this is in my year of grieve leave. Yeah. Let's like set stage a little bit. I had been trying to get divorced for like a year and a half. I had quit my job and taken time off to explore what grief and loss and grieving actually like meant. I had been writing in a blog every day about what I was learning about grief and grieving. And that blog was starting to take off. And by September of 2022, I had enough confidence that my divorce was actually going to happen soon. And at that point, I was like, I am so proud that I have persisted through this process, through a process that is designed to break me. And I didn't break because I knew my own worth and I knew that I would be better off not in that marriage. So I was proud. I also felt an immense amount of gratitude to my friends, my chosen family, who supported me every day. And many of whom I hadn't told pretty bad things that were happening in my marriage and who were there for me upon the divorce. And I was feeling sad too, and some shame Mm -hmm. that still the night before my divorce decree was, was signed by the judge, even though like I was thrilled that day was coming, 
I was in bed crying because I was going to be labeled as a divorcee at 31. And I felt shame about that. And all of those feelings mixed together made me (laughs) want to throw a divorce party. Love it. Because I was just like, you know what? I just want to bring my girls together and first of all, thank all of them for everything that they've done for me. And I wanted to flip this narrative on its head. I wanted to flip the shame on its head. It's like, hey, (laughs) I deserve to celebrate making a really brave choice. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to laugh in our grief too. Like it is okay to feel joy alongside the frustration and the disappointment in our grief. Both can be true at the same time. And the other piece of the puzzle here is that like literally like within the same week or so that I started my divorce process, my separation process, Adele came out with her album 30, which is all about her divorce. And I felt so seen and I just like listened to that album on repeat. Her album was the soundtrack for my own divorce. We're the same age. And when Adele was doing her Las Vegas residency and my divorce party idea came to mind, I was like, well, there's that that's where we have to go. That's where I have to gather everyone. And so, yeah, so I decided to host a divorce party for my best girlfriends in Las Vegas. And we went to see Adele. (laughs) And that video is like, if you haven't seen the video, I'll link it. But I mean, talk about everything coming together is like, oh my gosh, it was beautiful. And I also like, didn't even, I'm glad there's video footage because honestly, I wouldn't believe that this actually happened to me if there weren't like proof, right? Like, we made a little sign that was like, Adele, like, thank you for helping me through my divorce or something like that. And like Adele happened to talk to one of my friends in the audience who was there for the divorce party. And a, my friend, God, I love her. Her name is Sogol. She was like so ready to talk about why we were there. And Adele was so touched by this whole story of the divorce party and us coming together to support each other through the hard things that we go through in our lives that Adele cried on stage and talked about me and us. And then it started to make the news that she had cried and talked about a divorce party, which was wild. And then I made a TikTok about it. And then that went viral. And all in all, at the end of the day, it was just like this moment of feeling so seen first by Adele that we are just two people who understand the grief that divorce feels like. And we understand that it is our friends and our chosen family that get us through those tough times. And then second, like for every like one troll on social media for that video about the divorce party in Adele, there were like thousands of supportive people Because I think all of us globally are so ready to change the narrative around divorce as a failure. Too many people get divorced for all of us to be failures. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Like we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. It's like, 
we only just met, but I like I respect the hell out of you. And like I have friends that got divorced. I respect the hell out of them. It doesn't change how I see the people that, you know, are in my life. But I know it's so different being on the inside of it and thinking that people are going to look at you differently. And especially in the age of social media, I've heard a lot of people that's like, I literally just posted our like wedding pictures, you know, they're like three scrolls down on my Instagram page. And I feel terrible that this is, you know, that it didn't work out. And it's, again, it's not a failure. And I I had blanking on her name right now, but I had a divorce attorney on and she wrote a book that along the lines of stop saying you're sorry kind of a thing. And I I remember Yeah. And I remember when I had that experience, I think it was before I, or maybe the beginning of me starting breakup Bessie, but I was out and about, oh no, I was out at a dinner and I saw someone I hadn't seen in a long time. And I asked how her husband was and she said, we got divorced. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, don't say you're sorry. I really need to do that. And then that completely shifted my mindset around that. And I think globally or as a society, I think we are shifting that. And if I saw a divorce party in Vegas, I would be so excited. Yeah. We made so many friends. Oh, I bet. (laughs) I love that you did that. I put a tiara on because, you know, Adele's quote, she was like, my album is about divorce, babe, divorce. And so I I made, because I'm, that is a really great Adele impression. You're welcome. It was very good. Thank you. I wore a tiara that said divorced, babe, and just like fucking owned it. Yeah. Because I don't know. I just we have to stop beating ourselves up and we have to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and start being proud of ourselves and the people that we love for making difficult choices that are right for us, period. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you are going to make some big changes in this space (laughs) and I'm very excited for it. I love your enthusiasm and love how you've been able to change change the narrative for yourself. And now for, I was looking at your website over 25,000 people part of Grieve Leave. So can you tell people a little bit about Grieve Leave and the community that you have and how people can connect with you? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much, Kendra, for your kindness and your enthusiasm. And I mean, I really do feel like we could talk all day. So (laughs) (laughs) let's just not record that and let's just keep going. Yeah. Grieve Leave, like what started as my blog and my own way of processing grief, because I thought I was crazy for feeling this way, but I had a hunch that other people might also be feeling this way, proved to be just so much bigger than me. And yeah, the 25,000 number blows my mind because we are a community of people who are grieving all kinds of losses, death or non-death, all over the world. We come together I've coined this term to reinvent the idea of what a grief support group looks like. We at Grieve Leave host meet and grieve events. Love that. Some of them are virtual. Some of them are in person to just come together with other people who get it, whether you are going through divorce or a breakup and you feel grief about that because you do, whether you realize it or not. And let's normalize those conversations Or maybe you feel some compounded grief because you're unlucky like me and you are going through a breakup and have also experienced some other kinds of losses in your life. Maybe you lost a parent and you're going through a divorce. Good Lord. I just, I feel for people who have experienced that because it sucks. That's what Grieve Leave is here for. We provide all kinds of grief education and support to people so we can better support ourselves and each other as we go through loss. 
you can find us on like every social media platform because that's where we want to connect with folks. We want to connect particularly with young adults who do not have access to grief support that actually feels relevant for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit in a circle in a church basement on a Tuesday and talk about my parents being dead. And no one wants me there talking about my divorce, right? Like that's not an acceptable kind of grief for the support yeah. groups that exist currently. Meet and grieves and grieve leave are solving for that void. So you can visit us at grieveleave.com. Follow us on Instagram at grieveleave. Follow us on Facebook. I'm on TikTok. We are funny and share a lot of grief memes. So if you're into like laughing alongside your pain, we are so the community for you. I love that. Thank you. Really appreciate you, Kendra. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to link all of those in the show notes. And I'm just so glad that you exist on this planet. And I'm glad you exist. That's the thing. Like you you don't even know you are already providing grief support to people. Like you just posted a reel. I think it was yesterday that uses the word grief and grieving like explicitly, even if like the work that you do to support people through breakups, that is grief support, Kendra. Like you're already doing it. And I'm so glad that we've connected because like, let's normalize the words grief and grieving. You're not crazy because you feel this way, even though all of us pretend like we never feel grief. It's just not true. So thank you for the community that you've built, particularly around breakups. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on and so excited to see Grieve Leave grow and what you're going to do next. So, so yeah, I'm just excited. You're the best. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.